0: Thank you for that. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 17 as we uh, continue, that is, our series on Paul's life and theology. Hear now the word of the Lord. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Lord, we have uh, gathered uh, to worship you, to sing to you, to pray to you. Seek and be reminded of our forgiveness. And we ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this morning I'd like to begin with a, a, a personal story. I was seven years old, and I was in my parents' bedroom at our house. It was the coolest area of the house. Uh, The air conditioner was coldest there, and I was in there making a card house. I loved making card houses uh, growing up. And at this particular time, my mother walked into the room and sat down in the bed and said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, Okay. And well, she proceeded to tell me this would be the first time I heard it, that I was adopted. Uh, At least that's how I remember the story, kind of making the card house, sitting down looking up and being told I was adopted. And I didn't know what that meant, so she explained it. And after she started telling me what it meant, I started crying and asked, well, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She then explained some more, of course, about adoption. And I stopped crying and I said, oh, okay, and went back to making a card house. (laughs) And see, from that moment on in my life, I I never questioned who my true parents were. I never questioned if they loved me as much as my uh, their, that is, biological son, my brother. Uh, They never gave me reason to doubt. They always treated me as their own son. And I tell that story because in a very real sense, obviously with the details put aside, it's your story as well. It's your story as well. You too are adopted. You're adopted. I'm adopted into the family of God. See, in our series on the Apostle Paul, particularly related to theology and the doctrine of salvation, broadly speaking, we've spoken on regeneration, being born again. We've talked about the doctrine of justification. Um, Regeneration has to do with our spiritual life within. That's a change that God makes in our heart. Um, he does that. Justification is a legal transaction that takes place. God declares us righteous because of Christ's righteousness being imputed to us, and he forgives us of our sins. We, we've heard that. Well, essential and central as those doctrines are, and there's a reason why they come up so often, because they are central doctrines. They don't address for us, theologically speaking, the fact that we're part of the family of God. They don't address our family relationship with God. Regeneration or justification, neither of those obligate God to make us His children. God could have given us spiritual life without making us members of His family, and He could have justified us without adopting us, the same way a a judge can pardon a criminal, and that's what God does in justifying us, uh, but the judge doesn't have to have a personal relationship with the criminal. But see, our God, in his infinite wisdom, his mercy and love, he chose to adopt all who he justified. As John 1.12 says, "...to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, for in Christ, that is when you're united to Jesus by faith, you are all sons of God through faith. And so as you work your way through Paul's theology of salvation, we learn that regeneration gives us new life, that justification gives us a new legal standing, and adoption gives us a new relationship. From children of the devil to the children of God. And so you, if you're a believer, are not only united to Jesus Christ, you are not only a new creation, regenerated, you're not only saved from his wrath and justified, you are his adopted child. You are now a member of his family. And so this morning what I'd like to do is cover this doctrine of adoption in a little bit of detail, I actually believe if you come to grips with this teaching uh, that you're an adopted child of God, you will truly live life with, a, with kind of a boldness if you embrace it experientially with a confidence as you walk through this world. See, nothing should give you more confidence that God loves you than the fact of the doctrine of adoption. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 states this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. He's poured it out on us. Uh, how's he done that, John says, that we should be called children of God. And so the doctrine of adoption should fill our hearts with the rejoicing every time we consider it. And I pray that that would be the case for us now. Well, to better appreciate this concept, you need to know its background. The word for adoption here is used only by Paul in the New Testament. It's five times in total, and three are found in the book of Romans. And it's not found in the Old Testament at all. The Jews didn't practice adoption. And so almost all commentators, most scholars believe that Paul gets this concept of adoption from the Roman law, from Greek law. And there are two good reasons for this. One, he's writing to Greeks and Romans. But secondly, and more importantly, the Roman understanding of adoption gave Paul an opportunity to get his point across. Adoption in the Roman sense of the word, and this is going to be obvious to us because we pretty much adopted the whole understanding of our understanding of adoption from Rome, is the procedure by which a person is taken one from one family or has no family as an orphan and then they're placed in another and according to Roman law, there were three legal steps in adoption. First, uh, the adopted son was adopted permanently. He cannot be adopted today and, and then say, ah, We don't like him, and they throw him out tomorrow. He became a son of the Father forever. He, he was eternally secure as a son. Second, The doctrine, or the adopted son, completely lost all rights in his old family. And so the adopted son was looked upon as a new person. Any old debts related to the old family, any obligations connected to this former family were canceled out and abolished as if they never existed. And third, the adopted son immediately had all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. You see, it's not that you have new guardians only. An adoption signified that you have been granted the full rights and privileges of sonship in a family which you didn't belong by nature. For example, when I became a Donardo, I gained all the rights and privileges of being a Donardo. My original parents didn't. Want me for whatever reasons, as far as I know, and what I found out, my biological father never set eyes on me. They didn't want to provide for me and care for me, but then something changed in my life. I was selected that's what they tell us, adopted people were selected, not expected. Now, I was selected by the, the Donardos, Andy and Jane Donardo. they came along with no strings attached. I didn't have anything to prove I, and adopted me into their family. I wasn't considered a second-class citizen or a member of the family. I didn't have to earn my rights. Out of their compassion and love I was given, I was gifted full rights and privileges. And this is what happens in our adoption into God's family. That's why I use that imagery. Every person here who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who is a believer, has been selected by God to receive sonship and brought into the family of god you are permanent sons yes we say sons and daughters but it's important to understand that the word sons are used here um you know men were the bride of christ and ladies you're the sons of god if i could put it that way but sons and daughters you no longer obligated to pay any penalty or debt of being an original child of adam And you enjoy all the rights and privileges of a natural-born child of God. That's what it means to be adopted. Now, my guess is no one here who is saved has a hard time believing that you're a child of God. But where you may struggle, or maybe you haven't thought of it, through it that much, is that your heavenly Father sees and feels the same way about you, his adopted child, as he does with your elder brother, Jesus. That's the reality. Even Jesus himself, he He makes it clear that God the Father cares for you and loves you just as much as he loves his only begotten son. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, This, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That idea behind please is he he delights in. It's pleasing to him to, to do that. Jesus is saying that God the Father delights in, he is pleased to give you the kingdom. And what makes this so important, uh, particularly these words, pleased, is that the word pleased is only used six times in the Gospels. It's used here in Luke, as I just read. And the five other times where it is used, it's used by the Father, God the Father, as He speaks to His Son, Jesus. And so it's used at His baptism. Um, we're, we're told a voice came from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's, it's repeated three times. So there's three of the uses. Uh, the, the father also said this about his son on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And, and it is quoted in Matthew 12, 18. There it's a, it's a quote in fulfillment of Isaiah. Uh, uh, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased pleased. And so here's the heavenly father speaking to the son that he was chosen. He was loved and he was delighted in by the father. And so you see what's happening. It's as if Jesus is looking at his disciples and now us. And he's saying, do you remember my baptism? Do you remember the transfiguration? Do you remember what the father said about me and his love for me? Well, that's how he feels about you. God is happy. He's delighted. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. He delights with it with all its blessings. He's just as delighted in that he is about me fulfilling his will here on earth. That is how God loves you. He loves you the way he loves his son, Jesus. Now, of course, there's a difference in our relationship. He's the second person of the Trinity. There's this special, unique relationship. He, Jesus is the only eternal son of God. But the point is clear here. He delights in you as he delights in Jesus. J.I. Packer said, There are no distinctions of affection in the divine family. We are loved just as fully as Jesus is loved. We are heirs together, says verse 17. We are heirs together with Jesus now the reality of this glorious truth is experientially brought home to us through how do we experience this and and understand it more than cognitively it's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our passage, the Holy Spirit is mentioned four times, beginning in verse 13. In fact, Romans 8 itself is all about life in the Spirit. And part of that life involves this Spirit leading us and assuring us that we are God's children. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now when the verse says led by the Spirit of God. It's not talking about being guided by the Spirit for decision-making. The Spirit does that as well. But here it has this understanding of to be under the dominating influence of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit persuades us. He enlightens us. He leads us. And where does He lead us? Well, we're told He leads us into holiness. Look back at verse 13 now. Verse 13 and verse 14 are connected verse 13 if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body that's evil fleshly desires you will live and then verse 18 kind of literally says because because all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god and so to be led by the spirit is to is to put to death the deeds of the flesh and as you put the death, the deeds of the flesh, these evil desires that you have, as you put them to death, you're experiencing in that moment true sonship. And so as you die to sin, you can be assured that you're adopted into the family of God as your life is conformed more and more and more into the image of your elder brother, Jesus. But that's not all that takes place. We can also have this inner knowledge, I would call it, an experiential. We experience an assurance of our new status as sons. Look at verse 17. We're told that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears him, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So the Holy Spirit, we're told, testifies to our spirit and gives us this experiential assurance of our membership in the family of God. Now, this is something all believers experience to some degree or another, and it's in varying degrees. Assurance isn't necessary for salvation in the sense that if you don't feel assurance, you must be lost. But it is a gift of your salvation, and we experience it in various degrees. It's something we all experience. However, the point is clear. Every believer has a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit in his heart that confirms that God is their father. One writer, John Piper, put it this way, God does not leave us with no feeling of acceptance and love when he adopts us. Rather, he pours his spirit into our hearts to give us the experience of being embraced in the family. You know, I never doubted, I have said this, I never doubted my parents' love for me. All throughout my childhood, they bore testimony to the fact that they saw me as their own child. And I gave them a lot of reasons not to. (laughs) I I even used the adoption against them at times. But I'm adopted. But I had this inner assurance. I wasn't concerned. and, And this love and affection enabled me to always refer to them as mother and father. I didn't say, excuse me, adopted mother. Excuse me, adopted father, I call them mommy and daddy as a child. And that's what we have here. That's what we have in our own lives. The Holy Spirit indwells you and, and, and leads you, and he assures you that you are God's child, enabling you to cry out to God, calling him, we're told, Abba, Father. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the Holy Spirit freed us from slavery to sin. That's what he says. He freed you from the fear of God as a judge. How? By placing you two into his family. And through the Spirit's work in you, you now have confidence to call God Abba. Now, you've heard it before. A lot of people say that the word is Daddy. It's actually father. But the reason people use the term daddy is because it does convey some of what the term means. It, it has, it's a term of intimacy. There's a term, it's a term of intimacy with the same confidence and intimacy that I could call my adopted father daddy. The Holy Spirit empowers you to speak to your Heavenly Father with that same confidence, with that same intimacy in a childlike manner. And why shouldn't we? We've been given, uh, uh, we've been freed, that is, from slavery, and we've become a son. Could you imagine a slave? In, in biblical times, I'm talking about slavery. And, and, and this person lives in somewhat fear. They have a master. And all of a sudden, they're adopted. And they're now to call their master Daddy. And after being adopted. And, and it would have been very difficult to do. But once they made the transition, once they mentally, emotionally made the transition, imagine the joy. Once they had the assurance, once they had the confidence that their master now loved them like their own child, that they were no longer on the outside looking in, but a permanent part of the family, an heir with the same standing as the other children. Oh, beloved, that is what's true of you, and that's what's true of me. We are no longer to fear God as judge. We have to honor Him. We have to revere Him. He is God, but we can still come to Him with a childlike confidence. And we know this is true because the Holy Spirit assures us it is. He leads us into holiness. He sets us free from our slavery and fear. And he bears witness with our spirit that we are truly sons of the Father. That's what we learn. That is what the Holy Spirit wants you to learn from this passage. God himself has made his claim on you, and he will never, ever let you go. You are now his child. That is your true identity. That's who you are. When somebody says, Well, tell me something about yourself. I am a child of the king. That's one of the answers that we give. Well, what's the difference? How does knowing this make any difference in our life? Well, it, it should make all the it should make all the difference in the world when you think about it. Let me state it negatively first. Everyone is not a child of God in this sense. You know, we hear people talk about we're all the children of God. Well, in one sense, he's our creator. And so he created all of us. But not in this sense. To address God as Abba Father involves in a relationship of intimacy. It it involves that intimacy. And that relationship is only available to those that God has regenerated, justified, and adopted. If you stand outside of this relationship, you should have the fear and the concern because he will be your judge. But if you believe he is your father in this sense. And so, yes, we're to revere him and honor him, but we can still come to him with a childlike confidence. As I said, he leads us into holiness. He sets us free from our slavery and fear, and he bears witness with our spirit that we are truly sons of the Father. And so remember if you're a believer that is true of you but if you're not a believer don't live off the hope that well God will just he's uh, he's my father he'll save me no he is not that's why the bible says there are children of the devil well in addition to calling god father in addition to the privilege of being eternally loved by the father there are many more blessings for adopted children think about it you're led by his spirit That's a promise to you. You You're assured of your salvation. Of course, I said in various degrees, but it's eternally secure. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, we're told in John 10. You're guaranteed a great inheritance in heaven because you are heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. If that's not true of you, if this can be us and believers won't be heirs, well, then God lied to his son Jesus as well. And so it is secure. All the great privileges and blessings of heaven are laid up for us and put at our disposal. Because why? We are children of the king. We're members of the royal family. We're prince and princesses who will reign with Christ over the new heavens and new earth. And yet, I would say the greatest privilege of adoption, at least this side of heaven, the greatest privilege is you can go to God in prayer As a son goes to his father. Your prayer life is not based on your performance. It's based on your position. You're a son. My father always listened to my request. Many foolish ones. I didn't have to perform. He listened. And our heavenly father does the same. He hears our requests. And in light of our passage, think of all the things you can be praying for You can pray that the Spirit leads you away from sin so you have this greater freedom and this desire and recognition of your sonship. You can pray that he helps you live more and more like a member of the royal family, more and more like Jesus Christ himself. You can pray that give you a fuller witness of his Spirit in your heart so you can have that assurance, that experiential assurance that as you face day to day all its troubles, all the doubters around you, you can have the assurance that someday... I will enter eternity and spend it with my heavenly Father. You can pray for that. You can pray for daily forgiveness, knowing your Father will indeed forgive you. Prayer is a privilege of adoption. And there is another one. This one's not usually looked at as a, as a privilege, but that's how it's shared here. Look at verse 17 again. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You and I have the privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings. It's a privilege. And just as it was necessary, says Luke, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Christ went through the path of suffering and enter glory. We follow the same path. And so God gives us the privilege of walking the same path as Christ walked. It's not for the same reason. We're not redeeming the world from sin. We're not appeasing the Father's wrath. But we are following our elder brother. And in the end, we receive the glory. You know, it's interesting. I, when we have our Wednesday prayer meeting, we've been praying for the persecuted church. And when you hear reports about what people suffer in the name of Christ, this verse, I'm sure, is vitally important to them. It has that deep experiential understanding of it compared to us who, I'm not worried here that someone's going to come and arrest me or kill me for preaching. We oh, could happen, but it's an odd thing. There it happens. But what's interesting is when there's correspondence, sometimes, not always, we've been praying for people to be set free, that, they, that their captors would repent, all those things. But some of the people have said, don't pray for our release. Don't pray that we're not persecuted. Pray that we persevere. Why would they say that? I, I stub my toe and I want you to stop everything and start praying for me. Why? Why? Because they're experiencing something of, of that adoption into God's family. They're experiencing something of that walk with Jesus following in his path. We endure suffering in this life so that we may also receive great glory in the life to come. And so suffering for your father is a privilege of adoption. Well, the final privilege is one that we've spoken about before, and that is being part of a new family. We have a new father. But we also have new brothers and sisters. And it's important. We have all been adopted into one family. We not only have an intimate fellowship with our father, we not only have an intimate fellowship with Jesus, but we have intimate fellowship with each other. And I know that for some... This is vitally important. You may not be persecuted, but you have a terrible home life. Well, you're part of this family now, too. And there's joy and fellowship with one another when people work together as families and as, as we should in the family of God. Sometimes, though, we're a dysfunctional family, let's be honest. You may experience personal dysfunction in your home, or we experience it in the church too, when we see gossip and slander, pride and anger tear people apart and cause division. And it's a shame because we're brothers and sisters in Christ for all who believe. It is a shame. But know this, and I'll close with this. There's a time coming. There's a time coming when our adoption will be complete. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll function perfectly as a family. As Romans 8:23 23 and 24 says... For we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. Why are we groaning inwardly? What does Paul mean? We groan inwardly because of sin. We groan inwardly because of division. We groan inwardly as we await, Paul says, eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We've been adopted. You are part of the family of God. But you cannot experience it completely here. Someday our adoption will be made complete. It's already here now. You are adopted, but it's not in its fullness. But that day is coming. That is the promise of the word of God. And so in the meantime, let us pray to God through his spirit that will allow us to live as one body in Christ as the family of God. Let's pray now. Father, we we do ask you enable us to do that. I pray, Father, for each and every one of us here that we would know experientially that assurance that you are our Father and you would give us the boldness and the confidence to live in this world accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.